my cell phone rang, and, and my friend Zach from, from back home was on the other line. And immediately, when I answered the phone, he said, oh my gosh, did you hear about Sean Livingston? This was like before the days of like smartphones, right? When, when news traveled just a little bit slower. Zach said he fell last night in a game, and, and, and they're saying his, his leg might need to be amputated. They're saying it's probably might be, it's the, like the worst injury that's ever happened to an NBA player ever. It could be the end of his entire career. He might lose his leg. Now, you see, to understand this, you have to understand that Sean Livingston was a, a guy who was in our class, who grew up in the same home city that we grew up in. But rather than going off to college, Sean Livingston was drafted fourth in the NBA first round draft to go straight from high school into the pros where he played for the Los Angeles Clippers at the time. Some of you might uh, know him more recently as a, a role player for the Golden State Warriors over their last uh, several championship runs. But for us, coming and growing up in Peoria, Sean Livingston was the, the poster child, right? Peoria is this fairly small city, but it's a gritty city. It's a city that prides itself in one very specific way on the, the, the homegrown basketball talent. You could kind of think of it as a little kind of a mini Memphis, if you will. It's that important. And Sean was the poster boy. He was the darling son who, who was finally going to make it big and not just make it to the NBA, but to, to exceed and, and to, to have superstar potential, right? He was the one that we, we all cheered for and, and longed for as we watched him win all of uh, the state championships in his high school career because we knew that there was something special about him. But on that night, in his third year of the NBA, he went up for a layup, a pretty ordinary layup, and he never quite jumped the same again. And so I rushed back to uh, my dorm room and got on my computer, because that's what you had to do to get on the internet back then, and, uh, and, I, and I found the video, right? I found the video uh, of the play, of the sequence. And as I watched this video, I knew what was about to happen, right? I knew the, the train wreck of, of what I was about to see. I knew that it was going to end in this horrific, gruesome knee injury, and so as you watch it, what would normally be a, a normal routine play of watching a basketball game turned into this fearful, gross sort of, of, of emotion, right? Of watching what I knew was going to be a fall and what at the time I thought was the last fall that he would ever have as an NBA player. As we come to this text... Uh, we come to a very particular text, a text that, that may be very common and ordinary to us. But for the, <clears throat> the first century Christians, Peter was, uh, he was the, the head of the church in Jerusalem, right? His, his story had been known and, and would be known proficiently throughout the Christian empire. And while he was most likely dead at the time of, of this writing, his, his glory and his importance, the way that he was 
the closest to Jesus in many ways on his earthly life. The way that, that he, in the very first chapter of John, was given the name the rock, right? He was the stable one. Uh, he was the one who, who got who Jesus was first. It was he who said to Jesus, where else could we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. But here we come to the text, and as we read it, we know that we're watching a train wreck. We're watching... Peter fall and tragically fall. We're watching in in slow motion. John almost, you see how he interweaves Peter's denials into the story of Jesus, highlighting aspect by aspect what it is and how it is, how it came to be that Peter, the hero, could have fallen so hard, so hard that you might wonder if he could ever recover. Because the haunting words of Jesus when he told his disciples that whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. And so John takes a point to show us the replays, right? Like ESPN kept rewinding and going back and putting Sean's fall in slow motion so that you could see the exact angle of his leg as he crumpled to the ground so that you could see that the knee bend in exactly the wrong sort of way because uh, the lookers, the fall was so hard that we had to know why. And so this morning as we look at Peter's great fall, at Peter's great failure, we're going to ask the same question, why? How? How did this come to happen? Because in, in much the same way that Sean's fall had a, a sort of a personal attachment to me, right? It was the, my dreams and hopes uh, that he was vicariously living through him. So we as Christians can feel an almost uncannily, strangely personal connection to Peter, as he falls and fails at the time when Jesus would need him most. So why did he fall? Why did he fall? I think the first reason as we come to this text is that we can see that Peter fell because he was trying to overcome this dark hour. He was trying to overcome this trial by the force of human will. You see, it's common to to think of of Peter's denials and just thinking of the three times which he says, I don't know the guy. I'm not one of his disciples, right? But the text doesn't start there with his denials. It starts first with a different denial, right? The slow motion happens. The, the, The initial fall, the initial rupture happens there in the garden because it's there in the garden that we can see firsthand that Peter has rejected Jesus's plan. You see, the soldiers planned that night. They planned that night to come and and to to overcome, to subdue Jesus by force, right? That's why they they brought soldiers and and officials and and testimony and witnesses. That's why they brought weapons and torches, because they knew that they had a task to do that night, and their task was to overcome by force, Peter, it seems, also entered that garden that night with a plan. And but his intention was to overcome the words that Jesus had told him already. When Jesus said, I'm going to a place that you cannot come back in, in chapter 13, it was Peter who said, No, 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 not ever. Jesus, I will go with you wherever you lead. Jesus, I will 
die for you. And so Peter walked out that night, I think probably with the confidence of the weight of the blade that he wore on his belt as well. Because Peter's plan was to overdo and, and to overcome and to subdue Jesus' enemies by force. Perhaps even to prove Jesus wrong. But Jesus' intention, Jesus' plan as he went to that garden is, is very, very different. While Peter and the soldiers both came planning and relying upon the execution of force, of, of human strength to overcome their adversaries, Jesus came out subdued to be in order to be subdued by the Father's plan. Peter and the, and the soldiers came to subdue Jesus, but Jesus came to be subdued by the Father's plan for mercy. You see, we've read through the Gospel of John, and we know at this point that this plan, this action that Jesus is about to take, this death that Jesus was about to die was for the purpose of bringing in his children. It was for the purpose of showing mercy to those who didn't deserve it. So Jesus did not enter the garden that night with any task of power. If he wanted power, he the text tells us he knew what was about to happen. He, he could have not gone to the garden, right? He could have hid. He could have run. Jesus, uh, this fascinating little details that John includes here, right? When, when Jesus says, I am he, the soldiers are, are so nervous. They're so unnerved by Jesus's calmness and his confidence that they stumble and they, they fall backwards. They're tripping over themselves in the dark. No, Jesus didn't need power. Jesus didn't need strength. He had those things uh, to the extreme. He didn't want those things because Jesus's plan was not to overcome his adversaries by force, but to be overcome with the father's plan for mercy. And so when Peter takes his sword and, and, and he slices off the ear of, of one of his adversaries, Jesus rebukes him, and he rebukes him harshly. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? <clears throat> Jesus knew that to in order to move forward, Jesus knew that to get through this trial, what he needed was not the force of human will, but the mercy of God the Father. And so this meant that when Peter, when Peter chose to draw his blade, when Peter, upon hearing Jesus say, uh, I'll come with you, to let them go away, Peter knew what Jesus' plan was, and Peter would have nothing of it because Peter did not want to be a recipient. He wanted to be a contributor. He didn't want to be someone who Jesus served, but the one who Jesus relied on. He wanted to take matters into his own hand by relying on his own power. But when he did so, he very, perhaps unintentionally, but very directly became an enemy to the purposes of God in that garden. When he chose to use his power to try to defend Jesus, he became an enemy of the mercy that Jesus was trying to bring. Because to seek to overcome by force is to reject the mercy that God has. We in 
are living in, the, in, in a strange time and in a strange place. And we have throughout this time talked about how our sufferings in some ways uh, are tastes, are, are bits of, of the sufferings that Jesus encountered, the, the bits of the sufferings that Jesus warned his disciples would be coming. And so over the last few weeks, as we've been confined to our homes, we've experienced any number of, of difficulties, any number of, of hardships. And many of us have found ourselves in places uh, where it's become very, very clear that, that we're not the person that we want to be. Relationships, conversations, the way we use our time or fail to use our time weigh upon us. And yet many of us are trying to overcome those things by force of will or force of intention or force of our own strength. And so after we have, have become uh, uh, almost abusive in our arguments with our, our families or our roommates... Right after we have, have maligned them, after we've called them names, <clears throat> instead of being the kinds of people who seek for mercy, we become the kinds of people who try to compensate with strength, right? The kind of people who say, let's just put this behind us. The kinds of people who say, well, you started it. The kinds of people who, who refuse to become uh, recipients of mercy because instead we want to win by force. Or we're the kinds of people, perhaps, who, who are experiencing tremendous amounts of anxiety, tremendous amounts of fear. Perhaps in some ways, for the first time in your life, in an extraordinarily new way. And yet, and yet... When a friend gives you a call, when someone checks in on you, you'd give them the lie that you're okay. You give them the lie of reassurance. You give them a, a show of strength because you're trying to convince your own heart that you can force your way through, that you can make it through, that you can fix what is wrong. Rather than being a kind of person who's willing to receive mercy. The kind of person who's, who's willing to let someone else hear of your anxieties. Letting someone else bear your anxieties. Letting someone else pray for your anxieties. Because a lot of us are not okay right now. But a lot of us would choose uh, consciously or unconsciously to try to overcome our trial by power, by force, rather than the mercy of God. And so we see that Peter has rejected Peter's pl Jesus' plan and many of the same kinds of symptoms that we do. But we also see further that this exasperates the problem. Peter has now become a prey, I would say, to the devil's schemes. You see, that first fall, that first uh, off-balance remark of Peter shows us the trajectory of what is going to happen as he hits the ground. It's Jesus uh, as the text takes us into that courtyard of the high priest, as the folks gather around the fire, as the servant girl looks at Peter and says, aren't you one of them? The text doesn't tell us what was going through Peter's mind. The text doesn't tell us what he was feeling. It doesn't tell us how he was processing the words that Jesus had just spoken to him. 
The text doesn't tell us what was going on in his heart and in his mind. Maybe it was an impulse just to lie, right? Maybe uh, lying was a part of Peter's life and it was just a gut-level reaction. Maybe it was a a feeling of embarrassment, maybe a, a feeling of shame. Aren't you one of them? And he lied to save face. Maybe it was that he feared for his life. Maybe it was that he, he felt anxious that if they knew who he was, then they would give him the same treatment that Jesus received. But I'm wondering if perhaps it was a continued self-delusion. You see, Peter could have chosen not to follow after Jesus. Peter could have, have chosen to just go home or, or to find a safe place to hide and, and to wait for news. But Peter went to that courtyard, and part of me wonders if he still is trying to justify himself, still trying to make himself feel important, still trying to think in the back of his mind that somehow I'm essential to this plan. If I'm just near enough to Jesus that maybe I can help, maybe I can break him free, maybe maybe I can still show my power and my commitment even if I can't be with him. But it doesn't really matter what the impulse of Peter was, but we know, I think, pretty confidently is that it was not an accident that Peter, when put into the test, when Peter, when looked in the eye, denied Jesus and said, I do not know him. Because Peter never bought on to Jesus' plan. You remember, even a long time ago, earlier in the, in the, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus predicts his death. He predicts his sufferings, and, and Peter says, this will never happen to you. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And you see, one of Satan's favorite tricks One of Satan's favorite tricks is to try to convince you that power is a shortcut to the kingdom of God. That your self-control or your self-knowledge or your uh, self-strength is a shortcut to get where God wants you to go. And so we say things like, Peter, that we can make it through. But by believing in Satan's lie, Peter has rejected the mercy that could have brought him To freedom. You see, I think as we come uh, to look at our lives, right, as we reflect on why it is that we prefer power to mercy, why we prefer to be in control uh, rather than to be recipients of care, I think part of that self deception is there as well. You see, most of us aren't thinking like, oh, I want to disown God, right? It's far more palatable for the devil to, to sneak into your brain that, that you must be strong for the kids, right? Or you must be strong for your husband who's feeling anxious, so therefore you can't be honest about the anxiety that you are feeling. You see, it's much more palatable for the devil to convince you uh, that, that it just, you just have to make it through this season, You just have to to make it to the end when things get back to normal and you'll be okay. You don't need to ask for help. 
You don't need to, to share your burdens. You don't need to, to, to share the failures that have happened in your moral life because once things get back to normal, then you will be okay. You can hold on. But when we make peace with those kinds of destructive habits, no matter how good of a spin we put on them, we are denying the mercy, the plan of God for our lives. But I don't think it's enough to say uh, that Peter fell just because he tried to overcome his trial by force. Uh, but I think it, it's also, uh, we need to remember that Peter fell because he had not yet been overcome by mercy. Now that might sound kind of redundant. It might sound a little bit strange, but, but hang it with me here because I think it's an important distinction to make. Because as Peter denies Jesus, as Peter says that he does not know who Jesus is, he didn't. it's not just that he, he didn't uh, rely on mercy, it's that he couldn't rely on mercy. You see, we, uh, the, while we've talked about it thus far, we could easily think that um, Peter had failed to implement uh, some strand of Jesus' teaching, some, some principle, right, or, or some... Uh, philosophy that Jesus had espoused that, that Peter failed uh, to embrace. But the Christianity doesn't ever, it's not primarily a, a principle. Christianity is not primarily even a, a philosophy, a way of, of going through life. Christianity is a reaction to the action of God. Christianity is our reaction to the actions which God has done in the world. You see, so Jesus, so Peter could not embrace mercy. G Peter could not embrace the life of mercy that Jesus was trying to implement because Peter had not yet seen the fullness of his mercy. Jesus, when he talked uh, to the disciples, and Jesus, even earlier than that, when he talked to the Jews, he tells them where I'm going. The thing that I'm about to do, you cannot follow me. Why? Why could Peter not choose the path of mercy? Because the, the actions, the supreme uh, demonstration of mercy, which would change Peter's life forever, was still in progress. He couldn't respond to Jesus' mercy because he hadn't seen it to its fullest extent yet. Because the story of Christianity is that upon seeing the mercy of God, we are transformed. And so it's not Peter's lack of power. It's not his lack of resolve. It's not his lack of understanding even per se. But it's that Peter had not yet been overcome by the mercy the tidal wave of the mercy of God as he dies on the cross to forgive us our sins, as he dies so that we have a way to God, that tidal wave of mercy had not yet flipped Peter around upside down and given him new life. So Peter could not choose the path of mercy yet, but Peter's story is changing by the second. Peter's story was about to change in a big way. And it's really interesting when you look at the Gospel of John, the, the, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is the biggest and, and it's the climax and, and rightfully so. But John is very, very intentional to let us track the story of Peter along with Jesus. 
You remember how we started the prayer, the, the upper room discourse, Jesus' last message to them started with Jesus predicting and telling them Peter is going to fall away. Here at the, the, this flurry of activity where all eyes should be on Jesus and what he's doing, John intentionally keeps us up to speed with what's happening to Peter. When Jesus comes back from the dead and, and after all things is done, where does John focus his attention? He focuses his attention on Peter being reconstituted. Because you see, uh, the implication of God's acts of mercy have to be demonstrated for us in real time. Jesus didn't just die for the sins out there. Jesus died for Peter. He died so that Peter, in his denials, in his frustrations, in his running away from God, it is Jesus died that his mercy might change and John shows us that so that you and I might believe that he could change us as well. See, Peter's story is a reminder to us that a resurrectionless Christianity, an Easterless Christianity, is not worth the paper it's written on. Because Christianity isn't a philosophy, it's not a, a principle of humility, it is a response to what Jesus does. If Peter is not transformed by the mercy of God, then he has nothing. And so, as we come to this text, this text, I think, asks us. It asks us and it invites us uh, to a question, or have we had that kind of experience with mercy? Have we had that kind of experience where, where we know that we have failed, where we know that we don't measure up? Have we been converted based upon what we've seen in God and an experience of him? Or, or are we still trying to enact Christianity? Are we still trying to, to play, pretend to be Christians? Right, and so if you've uh, not had those experiences, most likely the, the, the idea of Christianity, right? The principles of Christianity seem really unattainable, right? The, the, the philosophies of Christianity seem unacceptable, right? They're in, inconsistent with the way the world works. They seem pie high in the sky. They seem romantic and distant, and it's not surprising because Peter couldn't believe in a Christianity until he experienced a resurrected Lord, and neither can you. Peter didn't like the idea of being one who is overcome by mercy rather than being the strong one, and you won't like it either, right? But God in this text is leading us and he's drawing us towards this cross because this man, Peter, this man, Peter, who, who could not embrace the mercy of God before the cross will become utterly transformed by it. Because if Peter can be changed by seeing Jesus' supreme act of mercy, if Peter can become the kind of person who leads with his confession that I need help, I need to be changed, I need the mercy of God, if Peter can become the kind of person who, despite his utter and blatant rejection of God, can be the kind of man who would seek God's face in prayer, then maybe we can too. And for those of us 
there's another group of us, though, who are listening to this story. And our life is, is bound by an experience of mercy. And we have tasted and known such sweetness. We've experienced that transformation. And yet, when I talk about these patterns of life in this core team, right? When I talk about the kind of people who, who have experienced mercy are those who freely confess that they've screwed up. Who freely confess that they've done wrong. And yet we see that we have chosen to go back to, to, to trying to make people think well of us by our strength rather than by our need of God. And so we are like the, the Galatians when Paul says, who has bewitched you? You started. You knew at the beginning that you could only be changed by God's act of mercy. And yet now you are trying to prove how good and tough and, and right you are by your deeds. It cannot be. Because when you fail to admit your wrongdoings, when you fail to confess your sin, you're not just violating a principle, but you are rejecting the work that Jesus did on the cross. When you fail to cry out for help, when you fail to admit that you are needy and doubtful, then you're not just being inconsistent in your philosophy of life. You are rejecting the work that Jesus did because Jesus came to give mercy to those who are needy. So don't try to, to revert back to, to compensate by power or will or strength, but compensate by running to the cross for forgiveness. When I think of my uh, freshman year of high school. When I think of my freshman year where uh, all these different junior highs came together into one uh, group. And when I think about how terribly insecure those gauntlet of social interactions was, right? Who were going to be my friends? Who was I going to be accepted by, right? And, and, and it when you are in that place, you, you feel like you can show no weakness, right? You have to, to exaggerate your strengths and you have to, to hide or dismiss your weaknesses, right? So everything that you're good at is what's important in life. And everything you're bad at, well, pff, who would care about that anyway, right? Who would want to be in band? Because I'm not good at music, right? But of course, everybody wants to play soccer because I can do okay out there. Right, there's this exhausting functions of, of going to parties and, and going to football games and, and, and going to school dances and, and trying to, 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 to act like you should be liked based upon your strengths, upon your power, right? If there's ever a, a kind of time of life, right, where you are trying to overcome the obstacles of life by your goodness, by your strength, by your power, it's that kind of thing. And it is, it's absolutely miserable. It's absolutely miserable, and of course, it's counterinductive because you're dreadfully boring then as well. But I remember that freshman year because uh, I remember a moment that came following it at the beginning of, of sophomore year. This, all these parties that you went to with all these different groups of people, would I be accepted? Would I be liked? Right? And then there's this transformative, this transformative moment occurred to me this one time when I was invited to something and I couldn't go, and they came back to me the next day and they were telling me what a great time they had and I felt all that 
shame of missing out, right? All that fear and worry. But then when they genuinely looked me in the eye, when my friend uh, looked me in the eye and said, man, I wish you were there. It would have been so much more fun if you could be there. And we're going again out again this weekend. Would you be there? You see, all of a sudden, that experience of being invited, that experience of someone looking at me, not because I was being witty or being funny or being well-dressed, it wasn't because I gave a, a cool demeanor, but because they chose to show me kindness and love, well, then they became my people, right? They became the people that I could do life with. They became the kind of people who knew me uh, not based upon a mirage or, or an illustration of power or strength, but people who accepted me in my brokenness and helped me become a better person. If that was true for a, uh, you know, a 10th grade little Ben being accepted by his friends, how much more? How much more when we see Jesus entering into the story of Peter's life? While Peter is, is lying and denying that Jesus is his friend, when Peter is standing there trying to look good or to try to stay out of trouble, while Peter is denying Jesus at the fire, Jesus is in the courtroom going to bat. While Peter is, is acting as though he cannot move forward except by his own strength, Jesus is in the courtroom walking the path to the cross. You see, all that Peter really needed was not the ability to overcome the trials of the world through his power, but to be overcome by the mercy of God. And so that's what Jesus did. So while Peter was worried about putting on a good show, Jesus was preparing his invitation to a new life and a new kingdom. While Peter was acting like an idiot, Jesus was preparing a place for him. And he has for us too. Jesus, in his mercy, went to the cross so that we could be with him. He went to the cross while we were still denying him, while we were still falling short, while we were still blowing up in anger, while we were still being unfaithful to our vows. Jesus went to the bat for us. Because if only we would give up trying to be okay by our own power. If we were only willing to give up trying to overcome our difficulties by the power of human will and instead be overcome by his mercy, well, then we would find his mercy and find our home. Pray with me. Father, we gather together, Lord, as people who need to know you, as people who need to be known by you. Lord, you have loved us and you have cared for us. Lord, show us your mercy and your kindness today. In Jesus' name, amen.